0: I mean, we got a really great conversation coming up here with Brian Kane, the umpire, uh, about the USPL, about the US umpires kind of boycotting the US Open. Um, but before we get to that, let's talk about something that is going on right now, and that's the BCCI pushing back against the Pakistan Champions Trophy tournament that was supposed to be staged in Pakistan next year, I believe, 2025. What's what's the deal with that? The BCCI it looks like they have. Uh, leveraged their influence to kinda of get that change.
1: Yeah, I mean we we talked about this on our first episode, I think. Uh we we talked about the fact that, you know, interestingly enough, there is this new what well, I guess they're rebooting a tournament and it's gonna be held in Pakistan. And yes, we have some of the, you know, the major cooking nations playing there, but the biggest one arguably in terms of fan base and what seems to have the most controlling power, um, doesn't play in Pakistan. They don't go to to play cricket. Uh, that's just something that they don't do anymore. Uh, and so it was a really interesting decision. And then I text you over the weekend because I saw it just kind of come up in my feed that it's set to be moved out of Pakistan. Now, Pakistan does have a couple of things they want from the ICC if they're going to move it. I At first, it was like, okay, well, they'll hold some of the games in Abu Dhabi. Um, and I figured those would be majority of the India games and playoff games. And Pakistan wanted to be I uh, compensated for those games because, hey, those are supposed to be played here. You gave us this contract and you're backing out. And now uh, it looks like it's going to be set to where they're going to take it out of Pakistan altogether. Again, really interesting. I think a lot of people thought the reason it wasn't Pakistan is because they won the championship the last time it was played. And maybe that's how they were going to cycle it through. But you know what? That seems to have gone out the window. So this tournament felt weird to begin with to have a tournament that is decided by the World Cup is qualifying for
0: this tournament. And it,
1: it just seems to keep
0: getting weirder. Yeah, honestly, it surprised me at first when they said it was in Pakistan for this reason. And we talked a little bit about that. And then India is always leaning on this reasoning, oh, the government won't let them go, you know, because of safety concerns. And they always lean on the, the government. Right. And we know that ICC recently, uh, you know, they got a kind of a government interference policy that just recently happened with Sri Lanka, where they've just moved the the. U19 World Cup from Sri Lanka to South Africa because Sri Lanka suspended because of government interference, quote unquote, we have this huge debate ongoing. Well, we saw Zimbabwe got suspended also for the same reason a couple of years ago. We see this huge debate ongoing about whether or not Afghanistan should be suspended because of their government's sta- uh, take on women. Is it, is it reasonable to ask why, why, the, why India is not going to be suspended for these types of things? You know, uh, when, when they haven't been willing to go to Pakistan in how many years, and other nations have been willing? And we saw the writing on the wall. We knew this was going to happen. Apparently, the ICC knew about this Champions Trophy a couple of years back, but they only ever announced it during the World Cup, which was weird. It seemed to take England by surprise, who didn't seem to know it existed, even though they, they clearly did, because I believe they voted on the thing. Typical bizarre cr- uh, cricket stuff, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is bizarre, and you know, you bring up a point. There's been suspensions for, you know, too much government interference, and again, to my understanding of it, it was the Mumbai attack, attack in 2008 that kind of led to the end of the Pakistan India tour, the, the Pakistan tour of India that year, and then it has subsequently led to no more touring for India Pakistan since. You know, again, safety concerns has been the main reason, and the PCB has cited that. Hey, Australia is coming. England's come like New Zealand's come here. We've played series and mm-hmm. they are fine, and they will, you know. And if you watch the Test, you know, which is the Australian do- uh, Test Cricket documentary, they talk about how you know it was great to go back there. They were complete security, um, and so like to, in the PCB's eyes, they've lifted this sa- their safety concerns in a way that they feel should be uh, allowing them to hold ICC tournaments and bilateral series, and shouldn't have anyone bar them from playing international cricket in Pakistan. Um, so, you know, this is going to be an interesting storyline to follow because, you know, does Pakistan hold out to say, hey, we're not going to compete in this because you took it away from us? I, th- I There's a lot of questions, I guess, to be had from this.
0: You want to see sports kind of transcend all of this stuff, you know? So it, I know it's not an apples-to-apples apples, uh, comparison when you talk about suspensions of uh, uh, national governing bodies and things like that. You know, we we all knew this was going to happen. I think every I don't think anyone in the in the world who follows cricket was the least bit surprised. No one was buying tickets to for the Champions Trophy in Pakistan quite yet because we
1: all kind of <laughs> had a feeling that this th- there's something fishy in here. And again, it, it like you said, it's predictable. Um, we said we said the first time we heard about the Champions Trophy, well, a World Cup, the whole World Cup qualifying thing, but then B, Pakistan's an interesting place to hold it unless India's stance on going to Pakistan changes there's no way an IC tournament is going to be held there because you know much to the dismay of us sometimes the the BCCI has the the power uh, it feels like in world cricket and that they're going to flex that power whenever they can.
0: It seems like it's just for the sake of it and let's move on now to our interview with Brian the umpire. This week, we're joined by umpire Brian Kane. Brian, welcome to Big Innings. Thank you for making the time for us. Thanks a million for having me. Nate, Amon, I'm really
2: happy to be on, and I hope we can have a good time chopping it up for a while.
0: Oh, I'm sure we will. Amon, you've been busy all day long in in the studio there at at UNC. I know that you've been itching to get to this tonight, to to this conversation.
1: (laughs) Nothing energizes me more than the Big Innings podcast with you and today with Brian. So there's no place I'd rather be. I just want you to know.
0: Well, it energizes me so much that I don't usually go to bed till at three or four in the morning on the nights that we do these. Uh, but that's uh, that's because of editing and things like that. I make that many mistakes, Brian. We know what it
2: takes. I mean, you, you guys have called me um, in part because of the work that I do on TikTok and on Reels, on Instagram, and those three-minute videos, I mean, I get it. Sometimes I can sit there for two or three hours and ignore the civilian work I'm supposed to be doing just to edit one of those.
0: Yes, but before I incriminate myself anymore on going down that road, talking about your TikToks and your reels there, I see it on Instagram because I don't really go on TikTok too much, not for any reason other than Instagram's just enough (laughs) on its own. But uh, you shared a really great reel, about three minutes long, going into your time with the USPL, which just wrapped up, and the US Open coming up. First of all, let's talk about this USPL. It was really long the schedule was brutal yeah three games per day how many
2: days of games were there uh we had seven days initially of group round games and then two days of semis and finals we did have one entire day uh rained off to rain you know national emergency alert weather kind of rain um so it was we did have one day off but that was an accidental rest day
0: yeah aka the typical tuesday in florida A lot of people don't realize it, but in the Southeast, there's actually more rain every year than the Northwest. Uh, There's more rain in Fort Lauderdale, Florida than there is in Seattle. It comes through and it comes through in gales. That makes sense to me. That's the second time I've done a tournament
2: this year uh, down at the Broward County Stadium. And both of those for the U.S. Masters T10 Global and now for the USPL, nearly every day of the tournament was affected by some kind of rain, which gave our fourth officials a ton of work to do.
0: I bet it did. It's you know, I, I heard that they spent an awful lot of money on that broadcast. Spent a lot of time setting up that broadcast. We saw Andrew Leonard down there. You, you actually, you did some games with him in Florida, didn't you? We did the Island
1: Series uh, down there in Florida, which was really cool. But um, it was good to see him back on American soil. Um, since uh, he had his departure with USA Cricket, haven't seen him back, and he's now back in back in Africa, calling you know some of those games there and some of the big results with Namibia and company. So I mean. It, it's really cool to see him that Anytime we can get Andrew Leonard on call, I'm all here for it.
0: It was so cool to me to squeeze him in between World Cup qualifiers. You had Asia, yeah. then you had Africa, but in right in the middle you had the USPL. So that was a great move by USPL. So, so far, I like a lot of what I've seen with this league. Um, if you looked at the teams, the rosters, it surprised me how um, they were just mostly made up of minor league and major league players. It was almost like a minor league all-star teams, these franchises, and honestly, that's very good cricket.
2: Yeah, the cricket was really good from our um, perspective. It was really good to see a lot of those minor league players who I've seen over the past three seasons um, kind of get mixed around and shaken up in a jar uh, through a fresh draft system at the USPL. Um, So they all know each other. It was a very, uh, you know, spirit of camaraderie all around uh, between the teams, Uh, guys giving each other advice on the field. Uh, We didn't have too much uh, indiscipline during the week because of things like that. Um, there were some blowups that people saw on TV, and we <laughs> handled those um as best we could. And as we would normally do under the regular uh, match playing procedures through us and our uh, television umpire. It was really cool to have a television umpire this time because especially in things like uh, disciplinary issues, we can go back to the tape. We can consult things. um, and we know that it's that it's there on television. So we know that there hopefully will be some kind of public consequence um for the guys who who committed those things. We hope that that, just continues to make the game a lot cleaner. But overall,
0: it was uh, quite a spirit of camaraderie and uh, quite a good time out there on the field. Yeah, not to name names, but Jesse Singh might be down there right now on the ground still arguing. Uh, after <laughs> That was pretty epic. Uh Yes, there was some passion, certainly a very evident passion. I think as a fan, I don't usually mind it when, I mean, I'm not an umpire like you are, I, I said, but I don't usually mind it. And Ryan's cursing you out, Nate. He's like, you're the reason why this is still happening in cricket fans like you. <laughs> <laughs> it could be, it could very well be, but, um, I don't usually mind it to it. Obviously you don't want to see it. Uh, what was cool in the broadcast is they showed you, they showed it right there. It was mm-hmm. right there in front of us. They didn't mm-hmm. skip away from it. You know, like you would often see in a lot of cases that you got to see what, what they were arguing about. It, it's a shame when it gets to that point, but, uh, but, you know, the, it's passion really is what it is. It's passion on the ground. And, and you know, our, I think our players will learn from, from these tournaments and the potential consequences that come their way. And what I think, one of the things I've always found interesting about cricket, even from
2: the time I started, is all the different uh, formats. And it's one of the challenges for the umpire that every time there's a different format, every time there's a different tournament, there's a different brand new set of playing conditions. Um, I talk in some of my videos a lot about the difference between the laws of the game and then the the ICC's playing conditions and then the local playing conditions under which each and every tournament publishes and we print out hard copies of the 89 pages or whatever the standard playing conditions are that there are things that are different in each one of those whether or not you have television um, and whether or not you have run out cameras and whether or not you have reviews and even other things like is there An impact player, Uh, are you going to make sure that they are starting with just 11 or are they allowed to list 15 and then pick after the toss? That's something that we've seen quite a bit this year, um, both at the IPL level with the way that they've uh, used their impact player. And then here in America, we have a slightly different system. So what I think would help um, with issues like the one that you're referring to that we got to see on TV, so up close and personal, I think is a lot more education. Uh, for the players especially players that want to go on and become captain and lead their franchises and and even hope to lead their countries is that we are really the only ones the it was only six of us or seven of us let's say in the umpiring group for this entire tournament and i'd say that that the seven of us certainly know all of the playing conditions better than everybody else but we'd like a lot more people to know a lot more we want to make sure that all the captains are coming to pre-tournament meetings where we give our presentations about what those playing conditions are going to be um and that didn't necessarily happen in this tournament um and that that's one of those things that we'll learn going forward what should be happening is the captains have a meeting like that and they understand a lot more about what the playing conditions mean. And I think we can avoid situations like the one we saw where it really was a question of interpretation of this
0: tournament-specific playing conditions. Yes, and anytime you get tournament-specific playing conditions, it's exactly. extra hard. Because when you look at the the co- tournament conditions or the playing conditions or the, the laws of cricket and all, all of these old older laws that have been tr- tried and tested over t- over periods of time, as an umpire, you can appreciate this. Anytime you make a rule change, a law change, it, it can, playing conditions change. Something is going to happen that's going to challenge that in a natural and organic way. Mm-hmm. Anytime you make a construct to something, it's going to get naturally challenged. I do do umpiring with the ball and play league, or I did with John Boy, um, and I have done umpiring here in TCL. I don't consider myself a good umpire, but. <laughs> I I understand what it takes to to be a mediocre umpire and what it takes. And therefore I can assume what it takes to be a good one. You know, with the John boy ball and play league, these are rules that John boy made up that I helped him make some of these rules. Uh, A lot of people contributed to these rules and all thought up. And you know, when that happens, there's going to be something that's going to fall in the cracks. You can, you can think about it all you want in, in theory, but in practice, something's going to fall in the cracks. Yeah, it happens. And I mean, I have
2: I took on a weird project last year. I have uh, all the different copies of the Tom Smith's interpretation of the laws. Uh, Tom Smith's is sort of like our almanac, our Bible for the laws itself. The laws, you know, are a thin little blue book. uh, But Tom Smith's is this big 600 page tome. Um, And I have copies of that from each time that they have changed the laws going back to like the mid 60s. So I understand how often the laws change and how the interpretations of the laws have changed over the years and how that makes this sport so interesting to me. Um, and so I think that that's something again, education with the captains, um, but also knowing that sometimes it is just going to happen, that you're going to miss something or, or that, or that the player won't quite understand and they'll do something that will then affect the game. And if it had been the other way, maybe they would have scored two more runs or something. And those are things that From our perspective, we can't really control. Our job is to learn them as much as we possibly can, honestly, as quickly as we possibly can. Sometimes we don't get these playing conditions till three, four days, two, three, you know, 24 hours before a tournament sometimes and have to learn them and have to adapt to
1: them and make sure that the players understand as best they can. What's that process like for you when you're like, you're trying to learn new playing conditions? Because like, I'm sure you have like a baseline of what you're looking for, but like, what's it like when you get, okay, here are our playing conditions and it's like, you got two days or you got 24 hours. What's that been like for you? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, there, I mean, there, there are 42 laws. There are generally 42 playing conditions. And we sort of know the 14 or 15 different places uh, where there will be adaptations to the law and to the standard set of playing conditions. That's even just like the number of overs and how many minutes per over is the pace of play supposed to be. Are you allowing subs? Are you not? You know, these sorts of things There's sort of 14 or 15 points that we will just pick out right away. Um, But then with a tournament like the USPL, we have to do a whole different set of preparations because we have uh, not full DRS television reviews, but we have umpire reviews on the field. So that's runouts and stumpings and fair catches and bump balls and on dismissals only, exactly, the no balls for the front foot and then for the waist high no balls, uh, you can also check but only on a dismissal so if there's not a dismissal you couldn't check for any of those things but there is is a dismissal you can check for all of those things in this tournament only Um, but i have been trained through our head coach in trinidad peter nero um, who's the head coach of the umpires for this hemisphere basically um and he's trained up a group of us from the u.s on all of the television umpiring procedures up to and including uh, full DRS, although I imagine it will be a while till any of us gets a game like that. Um, one of the guys in our class just made his debut at the uh, at the minor league final. So we've had these guys trained up for more than a year. Um, we're all just sort of waiting for our opportunity to get on the box for the first time. And then that'll be a whole new set of procedures for us to learn. The laws,
0: the playing conditions and stuff, all this stuff is so intricate and so um, detailed that in, in every sport too. For example, um, Amon, your your favorite coach, Bill Belichick, he's you know a lot of people call him a cheater or whatever, but but really what he uh, those people are what I like to call losers. <laughs> They're sore losers, for sure. No, I, I admire him because he dives into the rules, and and so it's not just umpires that need to know what the playing conditions are, what the rules are, what the ground rules are, what the uh you know all of these things, the laws in in cricket. Because Bill Belichick knows the rule book, you know, he he's able to exploit things that other people don't know. And I'm always shocked so much in, in football, particularly when some coaches don't know what the rules are all the way. and they think they can challenge things that aren't challengeable. That's something that you should know. You have a little flag there. In fact, I think, if a coach tries to challenge something that isn't challengeable, that should be a cost them a penalty. I mean, that should cost them a, a timeout. You know, I think that that's part of your job as a coach. It's part of your job as a player to understand, as a captain especially. If you're going to be the captain of a team, you got to understand what the playing conditions are. You have to. You have to. You can't be outfoxed. And if somebody else knows the conditions and the rules, the law is better than you do, then you can easily be outfoxed. So, yeah, that's not just for the umpires to know. That's everyone has to know this. And um, umpires are just better at it. You know, they have to be. So speaking of how good umpires have to be, that comes with a cost. That comes with a cost that you guys have to pay to get the training that you need. It comes with the time that you put into it. You've talked a lot on your TikTok about this, the amount of hours that you put into becoming an expert at at, at what you do, becoming good at what you do. Those are costs that you uh, accrue. And you accumulate that should come with compensation as well Uh, just to keep things moving right you you want to you want to complete the loop so you want you want good umpires they're going to invest themselves you have to invest in the umpires in order to keep the, the cycle going in order to keep good umpires in your tournaments nothing nobody wants to see a tournament with bad umpires. And so when you have a league like the USPL, which has raised the par- bar tremendously with the broadcast, I heard it was, you know, over $350,000 or so for the broadcast for I mean, looking at it, it looked like that. That's what it looked like it was, if not more. They raised the bar with, they paid umpires well. Because of all these things, things raising the bar, the tournaments that don't, they don't keep up with the Joneses in this case, um, they're going to fall behind. And right now we have the US Open coming up. And it's, you know, in some ways it's unfortunate for them that they're kind of like the last big tournament of the year. A, owners of of these teams might be scarce on money. They've spent a lot of money already. Uh, People who are doing work in cricket, broadcast, umpires, crew, everybody, you know, they prefer to be paid for what they do and they prefer to be paid fairly. And the U.S. Open has kind of built up a reputation that doesn't really support that. I am hearing, based on what you said in your TikTok, that the U.S. umpires aren't, aren't going to be attending the U.S. Open. Nate, I know you're determined to put me on all of my
2: favorite soapboxes tonight and just give me the platform <laughs> to run free here, and I thank you for that. Um, but, yeah, I think that what's sad to me and what I hate to see is that the, the U.S. Open is kind of, you know, the granddaddy of all of these tournaments, that it was the tournament that was operating at this semi-pro, pushing toward professional level, Uh, For the longest time. And I want to commend uh, Matt Qureshi, who has been, you know, behind all of that. Um, What is what is not going the best right now is that, yes, it does seem um, that what they're up to is still stuck in that time period 10, 15 years ago, that they aren't necessarily adapting as quickly to the changing landscape of the sport as they could be. Um, and yeah, the reason that the U.S. umpires um, have sort of decided together and at the direction of our president um, to not go is because they're not sort of meeting anywhere near uh, what would be our, our standard minimum feast. Um, our president, Danny Kahn, generally does most of that uh, negotiating on behalf of the organization um, and is usually the umpire coordinator or some combination of umpire coordinator match referee job. Um, at a lot of these tournaments, and he has been doing for a long time successfully. Um, And so this year, the U.S. Open has decided not to meet that minimum standard or even come close to it. One of the things for years we've been asking um, from that tournament is to pay some airfare and to pay for us to stay somewhere in a hotel. But it seems that for 10, 15 years, every single umpire that's ever done the U.S. Open has come home and having lost money. Um, and five, 10 years ago, honestly, that was acceptable because that was the only exposure for American umpires. It was, it was sort of the top class cricket they could find, um, unless they were punching up somehow up into, um, an ICC development program. Um, but because of how much cricket has become so popular in the U S and because we have all these new tournaments popping up who honestly, the owners have these egos and want to compete against each other on who can throw. Uh, the best tournament and who can draw the best players and I think part of doing that is making sure that you have a fully professional umpiring team behind you which includes um, some of the best in the US and that doesn't always need to include me there's a ton of guys out there who are working their asses off um, to get to the position of being professionals it should include domestic umpires and it should include some overseas umpires if you're going to bring some overseas players in you might as well bring an overseas umpire who can spend some time with us who can help us learn the game who's willing to engage with our association fully and become you know at least for the time they're here a member of our you know of our community um someone who's done that recently is alim dar who's been here for a couple of different tournaments and the way that he has taken uh to teaching us and to really being a paji, a big brother to us um has been really cool if you want the best players and you want the best production, then I think having the best umpires has certainly got to be part of that.
0: You know, if you want to have good things, you know, sometimes you get what you pay for. Especially when there's a market, all of a sudden, you know, a lot of things are popping up that that are willing to do that. And you know, the U.S. Open could easily get left behind. They don't want to spend the same on broadcasting by any stretch as the USBL. The USBL last year um, was just played on a college campus in New York. I remember seeing it. It looked like a pretty good local league it looked like a really good top level local cricket in the usa club cricket and now it's pretty much a minor league all-star event which is really good quality and it's you know they did it in lauder lauder hill this last year who knows where they'll do it in the future but um it's stepped up and now the u.s open needs to step up it's their turn Yeah, I was really, I was really proud to be part of both
2: phases of the first season of USPL. And it was very clear that um, the men and women who are um, financially involved in those teams, and also the people who are operationally running um, the event from the top are ambitious, and they want to go places with this property. And I wish them all the best and I hope that I can, you know, stick around through a lot of it. We had a lot of learning to do this year I, I think for a lot of us especially those domestically based in the U.S. that was only the first or second time we'd seen that level of production um, and honestly it's it, it's just a learning curve for us but it's a thing that we'll learn and take into the next one uh, we have meetings weekly with all the umpires and those of us that were there will share our experiences with those who
0: who haven't seen that before and hopefully they'll be able to take that into their first experience as well yeah well it sounds like things are coming coming up there with the USPL. Um, Amon, we're going to have to get involved in this next year some some way. What do you think about that?
1: Uh, yeah, they actually asked me to come down. I remember before the school year started um, and I was like, man, it was like right around the time where I could have like uh, all my final work or I could be done with everything. And I just looked great right for <laughs> nine days. And so I'm kicking myself every day. I was like, man, because I, I saw, I've watched all the games. I mean, it, it looks amazing. And to your point, Brian, I think it comes from them being willing to put a lot into it and I think that's kind of the difference in what we're seeing now that there's a market for this we're seeing more people try to up the ante push the bar and that goes from all fronts and you can see for the umpires too there's a lot more umpires to work with too right there's a lot more of you guys that are kind of learning and growing and I think that's equally as important in the growth of the game not just getting players but okay well you can't play the game without umpires and you can't play the game right without umpires and so you get more people on that track as well I think that's really cool and wh- that's what all these leagues are starting to do. Yeah, I'm excited the way that it's going. Um, hopefully we just see more
2: growth and more acceptance of the work that we do um, and that it is important to the game. Um, without us, really, because it's not in our job description, to have egos about it. You know, We love cricket. We became umpires, most of us, because that seems like the best seat in the house. You know, I was a fan. I have no family or cultural connections to cricket at all. I found it reading about it in a book and then watching it on tv and i've found my way to the best seat in the house and we come to cricket from a place of love where often uh, cricket can get quite cynical i feel like a lot of the umpires still really love cricket and that's the reason why we want to see it run correctly and we want to see it you know organized correctly and we want to see the playing conditions interpreted
0: correctly for everybody that's awesome man well, Brian, I know I know that you're not feeling too great since you've been staying up so late, umpiring cricket in Florida and rainy Florida, and then flying back in the middle of the night and then going straight to work right after that. But there's nothing it's not,
2: like it's not the big one, you know. It's not the big one that we have actual tests for, but um it's one of those that's hanging around with a lot of people right now. So I'm doing my best. If my voice sounds good tonight, then this'll be my new uh this will be my new podcast persona with the sick voice.
0: <laughs> Just take a little bit of of uh, cold meds and then drink a bit of whiskey and you're good to go from now on you're going to take over the world of cricket podcast <laughs> tonight we wanted to talk a little bit about this icc trans ban. there's just one time in the icc been in international cricket been a a trans athlete and all of a sudden they're weighing in on this after kind of deferring it uh, several months ago but it seems like they kind of hurried up and waited you know so to speak they it, this the decision seems rushed it seems reactionary And I just wanted to give you some space to talk about that, because I I know that you have a a significant other that's non-binary. So you have a point of view on this that that obviously I won't... Do you have anything to say about that particular topic?
2: I do want to give uh, space and honestly thank um, the ICC for saying anything about it. Um, A lot of sports are trying to ignore it up until now, or they're making very brash decisions. And it does seem like the ICC went through some kind of process and did speak to some sort of scientist. I haven't done all the research into this and I'm not going to, you know, try and quote science here for me. It's much more of a, of an emotional thing, I suppose, um, because I've, I've watched someone that I care about a lot, go through their own process of, of understanding themselves and understanding, um, their gender and to, at the end of that, or in the middle of that, or any time during that, be told the thing that you love to do the most and which you are successful at, you can now no longer do, um, because a governing body has decided that your personhood is different than what they expect in the sport. Um, and that on an emotional and social level, um, I have, I have a lot of problems with. Um, I though can see the needle that the ICC is trying to thread, um, by banning trans women who have been through some kind of male puberty um, from playing women's international cricket. Now, that is a very narrow scope that the ICC um, has put through there, and I appreciate that there been, um, certainly could have been much more sweeping. I don't know their scientists. I don't know, and, and I certainly don't know enough about the science um, to say exactly what for and whether that is proper um in in a scientific way especially if that person who who is a woman legally um and who has been taking hormones um in in part to to feel more themselves in that way and to and and to live as more themselves in that way um should be punished for the body that they used to have or for the experience that they used to have. And I know we're going to get into that conversation in a second too. Um, But yeah, from an emotional and social position, um, I think that it is a decision that is slightly behind the times. Um, And I would love to see an organization like the ICC um, step up and and take to the front on this and say that these are people who are people and we would love for them to be included in our sport in the same way that they want all kinds of other people to be included in their sport. And there are, you know, all sorts of charities and foundations built around getting people included in the sport. And so to make a decision which currently affects a single international athlete um, feels punitive on that person in particular um, and feels like we could be stepping up much further as a game. And I hope that people like USA Cricket or the various franchise leagues that are popping up in the US would be able to take a stand on this and say no we would love
0: for Danielle or anyone else to come play here with us. You you summed that up very uh diplomatically honestly. You gave the ICC credit for not doing a sweeping change there for being kind of specific about it. I I mean, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a gender scientist, I'm not a any kind of scientist, you know. You know, I I have a college degree honestly. Took as few science classes as I could take to get that. Um, is <laughs> waving his hand too. Um, so you know, I'm not qualified to really probably even have an opinion, but um, I do think it's very important that this is discussed because I think what we all want, well, what we all should want is inclusivity. We want more people playing cricket, we just want people enjoying the sport, and it's, it's a shame when someone does get get cut out of it. And like you said, it's just one person, it seems a little reactive um and punitive uh, unfortunately to Danielle and she's how many times has this many have this many people talked about a canadian cricketer you know ever and uh, to do it in for this reason no doubt she's had her na- name dragged through the mud by some people no doubt she's been used as an example um for some people that that don't really have all of these her best interest at, at heart, but um, or but the best interest of the game at heart. It's it's a really difficult topic, but I think it's something we shouldn't shy away from. Obviously, like I said, I don't feel qualified to like really have like a firm opinion about this, in any way. But I I'm really I want people who are qualified to come forward and talk about it. The ICC says they had they they consulted scientists and stuff like that. That's fantastic. Well, can can the Can the general public consult these same scientists and can we have a discussion about these things where we get to see what the reasoning is? There's two ways to look at. There's the physical advantages of the male post-pubescent physique, the average male, I should say, uh, post-pubescent physique uh, over the average female post-pubescent physique. But we know that those both have a huge, huge range. Both of those things have a massive spectrum. Gender in general has a massive spectrum. We know that that's their science about that. Social aspect to me is the, is, is something that's so interesting. Chess has, has made a rule, trans, male to female trans cannot participate in female chess competitions. They can participate in open chess competitions. And when you think chess, how could there possibly be a physical advantage there? Well, there isn't, what they have argued is an interesting point where you can argue against it. You can push back against it and say maybe it's not a great reason. What they've argued is that throughout history, men have had more access to men and boys, have had way more access and opportunities within it, within chess. So they've had access to chess that girls and women didn't have before. So so by bringing the privilege from the male world into the fem- female uh, world of chess, taking away the chances that are meant for the gir- for the girls and the women. Well, I think that that's certainly a very interesting way to look at cricket as well. and that's also very true in cricket in terms of the access to the game that men and women uh the disparity. But also it just kind of should should shame us a little bit as cricket fans, it should shame us as the cricket community that that it would be true that girls and women have had less access to the sport over the years. This this two thousand twenty three we're talking about almost two thousand and twenty four. And so to me, that's something we should reflect on and say, if this is truly a difference that's going to be cited, which we don't know that it is, but it certainly is a difference between men and women. Are we moving enough to, to make that a moot point? Are we moving forward enough as a society in the sports world to make that a moot point eventually? Or how quickly can we do that? And I think maybe a saving grace for the cricketing community, or maybe not a saving grace
1: maybe bad words for it, but it's, it's a, it's something that is coming up in sports or Across all sports, right? It's not just a, it's not a uh, cricket issue, and you know I think uh, there's going to be a lot of reactions on both sides of the thing uh, for, for for whatever reason. But I think this is something that is going to kind of consume the sports world. We've kind of been knocking at that door of you know how does this work? And I think in 2023, when you know we've come to a society that's way more accepting and way more open to individuals being their truest, free self, you know, now you have situations like these popping up. And you know, Brian, to your point, the ICC was very. You know, they did want to make an overarching statement and just kinda of can't based off one situation. Um, but also they were very quick to come back with it. So again, it's gonna be a very interesting way that you kinda of have to continue to tiptoe this line because this is not good Danielle's not gonna be the last. You know, this is this is not the end of this story. This is just the beginning. And mm-hmm. I think that's a very important place. We we're at that we're really at chapter one of this story, and there's a long novel at Certainly. And I think that having studied the,
2: the history of cricket a little bit, I mean, cricket for a long part of its history has been quite a conservative game. And in in a lot of ways, uh, those of us who have come to cricket through test cricket and want to save test cricket are part of that conservatism. You know, we're part of a little bit part of that elitism. I love going to Lords. I think it's excellent that there's a weird old building that only some people get to get into, you know, you're right. It is 2023. This is part of our past that we can continue to cherish and we can continue to reference and we can continue to celebrate for the fact that it is our past. Um, but what we do need to be doing is moving forward. And unfortunately, I think the ICC has taken the conservative approach here, as you said, a bit quickly and 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 to go after one person. Um, and I'd like to see cricket obviously moving a bit more progressively forward. And this
0: is a time that they... That they could have done this, yeah. And and as a progressive person myself, sports in generals often presents these conundrums to to you when you are of a a progressive persuasion politically. It presents a lot of these types of conundrums to you. I, I can't tell you how many times I've asked myself: Is the concept of sport itself even even progressive? Is it? Can I even make this work <laughs> for myself, morally, ethically? All these things. Um. And, you know, that's that's a challenge. So as you mentioned, cricket has a lot of conservative fans. Uh, it's been held up over the years and supported, basically existing because of that. And that's not, not just cricket. That's most sports in general. So when you get into even women's cricket, when you get into women's sports, the women's sports aspect of sports, to me, is, is, is the more progressive aspect of the sport. We've had Sindhu on the show before, and she said women get into sports for different reasons than men do. And it's true women's sport is valuable it is important and we know that cricket in this country is only going to go as far as the women's game can take it because we're not going to get in the NCAA unless we get more women playing cricket mm-hmm. so this is where you get the pr- progressive aspect of of cricket of sports in general is typically more in the in the women's game where you see kind of that reconciliation happening if you're more of a progressively political person like myself so it's it is difficult to see anybody excluded from that and even if you see, maybe there is a good argument here in some, in some little cracks, in some places, um, the access thing, but you hate to see that. The, the lack of women's access over the years is a real thing. And you hate to see that used as a as a hammer to beat somebody else down. Absolutely. I think that it's it's important
2: that we see our women's game generally as more progressive. I mean, one of the reasons that I... Left sports in the first place. So I was an athlete for uh, my whole life growing up until I was sort of going into college. Um, I was headed, I'd sort of been half recruited to go play on a D3 lacrosse team. It's part of the reasons I went to the school that I went to. I showed up, I did a few practices, I did some tryouts and I hated everything. And I just couldn't stand (laughs) anymore. I was away from my parents. I was away from home and I just couldn't stand anymore. Like the machismo and the sort of nasty, you know, male stuff that comes with all of the drinking and, you know, all of the culture behind um, sport when you get up to that level outside of high school. Um, and so I became a theater major instead for a couple of years. and <laughs> expressed myself, you know, for for lots of years only to find my way back to sport, um, but to try to find my, my way back in from another um, direction. I coached uh, women's sports um, in adult women's AFL, as well as middle school girls basketball and some high school soccer. Um, and I ran a program for national girls and women's in sports day at our school. And I really, I really think that what women's sports has going for it is the solution to a lot of the nonsense that we see out of the toxic masculinity in male sports. And so. I have seen in my own personal, you know, experience of the sport that the women's teams that I have worked with are much more accepting of let's say people who are, who who are gender non-conforming, who are LGBTQ, um, then, then male sports are in general. It's not a question when you walk onto a professional women's team in most sports that there are, that there are lesbians on the team. And then there might be even some people who identify themselves as non-binary on those teams. And when I worked at the youth level, working with generation Z and below kids, this is so much less of a concern and they look up and they're embarrassed that the old guys who run a lot of these sports are still making these types of decisions because in their world, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Um, so I, I love the idea that women's sports is a place where the sports can progressively grow. Um, and that we should be looking to them, especially us, not all of us in this call, but at least two of us in this call are just cis white dudes and should probably listen a little bit more um, to what's going on in women's sports and what's going on in the LGBTQ
0: world in sports, because that's where our progress is going to come from. I played college baseball, and I was an art major at the same time. So I got two, <laughs> I got a foot a foot in each world. Yes, it was the and this was like the early two thousands. You know, coming out of high school in the late nineties, where toxicity was pretty 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 much the status quo. There were aspects about that that I just, as somebody who who kind of like. I tried to see people equal, equally. You know, I I remember feeling like there's certain aspects of that, of the sport where it's kind of like almost a test to see if you're part of the team. If you're, you know, are you, are you with us? You almost had to, in some ways, kind of sell, sell out if you were going to fully be embraced. Everyone had to have the same mentality and this would be, you know, and it just felt like a lot of stupid, unnecessary pressure to me. In the art world, You get to enjoy and appreciate the variety of people that there are out there. And like you said, I'm a cisgender white guy, an average bloke or whatever. You know, I had an appreciation I felt for people that I continued to develop as I, even today. That's important to me to see the different walks of life and the different messages that people have from their walks of life and their lifestyles and appreciate those things. And I think sports now, I I look at the younger generation and I'm kind of jealous, man. I'm jealous of the acceptance of all types. And I think what happens is when you accept all types, you get the best. You get the very best, especially in sports, which is all about being the best. And when you're, when you make an uncomfortable situation for, for any group of people, right? You're going to exclude people that might otherwise be involved in your sport. And you might've just excluded some very fun people to watch too. Some, some great entertainers, some amazing athletes. I mean, think about the last Sixty years of sports or whatever professional sports. How many geniuses out there dropped out of a sport because it wasn't accepting of the, them as a person? And and I think we we stand to benefit to see the very best by being the most inclusive. Couldn't agree more. Thanks, Nate. I mean, no, as the, like I, I think y'all uh, y'all have a lot more life experience than I do. A question for you, Ahmed, because you're sure. younger. You're you're only twenty years old, right? You can't even you can't even treat a cold with whiskey yet, legally. You're in college though, so I'm sure you have your ways, right? I know I'm joking around, I I know that you don't not for me. <laughs> <laughs> but look, man, you could make a deal with the with the guy down the hall if you need to. But here's the thing, man. Like, um, Ammin, you're young, you're part of this new generation. Do you see this as an obstacle in sports? You work and you you're you're in this in the athletic department there at UNC so often. Do you see um, a more accepting view of people than we what we've described our experiences have been uh in college sport. No, absolutely. I think um you know all of us here are
1: especially uh, of student age and even my boss at the like athletic department um like they they're very accepting. They're always open-minded, always asking questions. I think that's the biggest thing is that I, you hear a lot of people asking questions. You know, when I did my first interview with um the production company and I mentioned cricket and then anytime I'd work they said so, cricket talk, tell me about it. So like That's a very you know it's not i guess to the extreme of what we're talking about but in to that respect that they're willing to look at new things and talk about different things and you know try to understand and i think that's the biggest thing that uh, i see that everyone's willing to understand and learn and not say oh just because it's not my way it's not the right way or just because it's not my experience isn't the right experience i do still think that they even amongst us in the younger generation there is still that little divide on kind of how we progress in sports. And I don't think that'll ever truly go away. I think there'll always be, you know, people on either end of the spectrum, but I think we are all very much willing to listen, come together and share these ideas. Um, And maybe that's the vacuum of college and maybe that's not what the real world uh, will present, but that's kind of the vibe I've kind of gotten, you know, through my growing up in this Generation Z. Hey
0: man, the real world is the one that we create, right? Yeah, hundred um, percent. You you said something there that, I think is so important it's such a key thing is people are asking questions they're curious when you allow people to ask questions freely when you allow people to be themselves and be curious about topics and talk about things without you know without being too critical of 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 the questions that are being asked I think your generation is very curious and this is why I have hope for cricket in the USA because I think people like to, to, to learn new things they they don't people don't want to drum on about the same old things all the time. There's so much out there in the world. And in this day and age where we have, you know, people are more connected than ever, than ever before. Then when I was a kid, you know, you could have a favorite NFL team, but if they weren't on one of the networks, you know, you just had to watch SportsCenter, which was great too. Keeping things open and keeping things accepting is is going to help cricket because that's what cricket's going to have to rely on, that same attitude.
1: I think that's the beauty of what cricket has uh, started to become. Uh, in this country is that you have more people of more backgrounds and learning and asking questions and again it's a, you know they always say cricket is a great um metaphor for life and I guess this is another example of cricket kind of being a metaphor for life
0: very cool okay well that was a great chat guy that guys that was really a lot of fun so so Brian you know thanks for joining us it was been a great chat we got to learn a lot about umpiring what you guys have to deal with the the challenges of all these tournaments there there are a lot of tournaments in the usa and Every one of them is a unique little monster. So let's let's hope the USPL can build up. Let's hope that um the, the the umpires association can can stay unified the way that they are in respecting each other. Because the part of this is is respecting your own time, appreciating your comrades, your 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 fellow um, umpires there. And let's just hope things continue to to grow. And the people who don't want to keep up, you know, maybe they'll change their minds that's kind of how we feel about the playing conditions, right? If you can't keep up with them, then,
2: you know, we're just going to have to move on without you. But um, thanks so much for having me, Nate and Ahmad. It's really good to talk to you uh, like this, really, for the first time. Um, I hope you, I hope to see you guys at the next tournament. Um, my next tournament, I think, I hope, we've only sort of been told, um, should be the the APL, the American Premier League, coming up um, in Houston at the end of December, if that you know, happens the way that it should, and everything goes the way we've been told so far that it will. Um, so, hopefully, uh, you guys may, might be able to find your way down there. Or, if not, we'll see anybody else who wants to come down. Great. Well, I'll definitely be talking
0: to you about how that went. Thanks a lot. Dude. Great to Thanks catch up, a lot, Ryan. See you guys.